Hi, we're Visible, the wireless company with nothing to hide. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not into you. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. to the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast with your host, Nick Batt. The Prime Minister of Sweden visited Washington today and my tiny little nipples went to France. And Bruce Nolan. Yo, brethren, what up with thee? Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Nick Bat. You can find me on Twitter at N-I-C-K-B-A-T, and along with me, as always... Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. And uh, this is... Uh, this one feels good. This is... Certainly feels better. It feels... Yeah, well, compared to the Cleveland Browns' loss... Uh, a trip to the dentist sounds better. Yes. Yes, it does. Yeah. So... We are coming off of a very comfortable win, something that we've only experienced maybe one other time, maybe two other times, I guess, the Redskins and the Giants. The Giants, I think, early in the season, though, people were still, didn't really know how to feel about the team and all that, but this game, I don't think we were ever in a situation where I felt as though the game was close to being out of control. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I'd say that there was times when they got within shouting distance of being within shouting distance. That's <laughs> yeah. the best way that I would word it. Yeah. There yeah. were times where I'm like, well, you know, if he threw a pick six here, then we'd really be in trouble. Yeah. But it just never quite happened for him the way they needed to do in order for it to close the gap. I think people's most unsettling experience was after they scored, they re- they got the onside kick, which was very clever, where the kicker recovers his own onside kick. I mean, that's... When your team does that, you feel like your team is smarter than the other team. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So it's, it was one of those situations. And it's also simultaneously in this situation, it's like, well, the, the Dolphins just have absolutely nothing to lose. So they're trying all sorts of tricky things. And then Alan Hearns just, you know, decided that that was not right. There was bad karma of some sort. And so uh, time to give the ball back. I Alan think, Hearns has Josh Allen on his fantasy team. Yeah. I think in the moment that the my most worried that I would have been in the entire game would have been the moment that the Alan Hearns pass was caught because it was again over the middle. I don't know if it's soft zone or if it was, he just got away from his man crossing felt pretty open and was, I think easily an 18 yard gain or something like that prior to the fumble, which was only a split second after the catch. But after that, it just didn't, it just didn't seem like the dolphins had it. They, they, they put up more points than probably they should have, and that's a testament to Ryan Fitzpatrick more than anything else, I would say. But all of the things that we were worried about last week, everything that you had that was a concern in the fan base, whether it was the pass rush or Josh Allen or Brian Dable or Stephen Hauschka, whatever it may be, the run defense, this game, instead, all of those things were overwhelmingly positive it was it was like a polar opposite of last week where last week we were all of our achilles heels were exposed this week all of those same achilles heels were incredibly productive this game was the cure to what ails a fan base 
specifically in those areas. Josh Allen looked good. Brian Dable also looked good because he had the stash. But he had, you know, he was up in the booth. There was a change made, however small it may be, that correlated with an increase in success, which makes the fans go, well, that's it. That's the change. Having Dable up in the booth allowed him to be in a more sterile emotional environment and allowed him to call plays better. And that's really what we've been missing. You know, if you wanted something to grab a hold of last week to tell you that we were bad, you got it. If you were looking for something to grab a hold of to tell you that there's hope, you got it this week. Yep. I mean, I think that instead of... So I think that the way you said that being like, this is like a, a cure to what ails you is true because what I think we experienced is... This is the, the the dressing that goes on a wound to heal the wound. This is not the testosterone shot from Dr. Life that turns you into a weightlifting 72-year-old man who is ripped out of your mind. This is not a win that takes us from being upset to being overjoyed. It's a win that I think takes us from being upset to content get you back to zero get you back to zero and the reason for that is largely because of who we played right the dolphins beating the dolphins doesn't say much about you aside from you're not the team that lost to the dolphins and that has been the case and it's going to be the case pretty much all season the bills could go 10 and 6 with their most impressive win remaining being potentially against the Pittsburgh Steelers who certainly did not look great last Thursday. So this is a game this is a team where like the words supposed to or should or ought to are just like they are just absolutely haunting this team because every win that we have is pretty much a game that we quote unquote think we should have won and every loss that we have is against a team that would have been uh you know that, that would have been a nice win to get that would have been a, that would have been a little bit tougher challenge and we didn't pull it out yeah every win we're going to have this year very likely is going to be well they were a really bad team and that's just the way the schedule falls that's just the way it is unless we're going to drop you know unless we're going to drop the Dallas Cowboys which I don't think we're going to or we drop the New England Patriots at the end, which I, I don't think we're going to. But if we pick off one of those games... Baltimore Ravens. Uh, I'm, I'm actually having nightmares about the Baltimore Ravens rushing against this team. Yeah, I would too. I mean, the Baltimore Ravens look... I mean, they're, very, they're a very dangerous team. They look scary. They look really scary. And it's one of those things where that's not the Bills' fault. You know, if they win every game they're supposed to win, they're 10 and 6. And you know what? If we get into the playoffs at 10 and 6 and we have a wild card game, anything can happen at that point. Yep. And I, I'm okay with that. I, I'm okay with that for this year because I thought we were an 8 and 8 team. I thought we were going to drop two games that I thought we should have won. <laughs> so it's one of those things where I, I'm okay with it. I really am, and I don't think at this point getting back to zero emotionally and getting back to, okay, let's just win the games we should, and if we win against the Steelers, 
the Broncos, and the Jets, we make the playoffs. That's the, that's it's this simple. If we win the Jets game, the Steelers game, and the Broncos game, we're going to make the playoffs. Two of which are at home. That's all we got to do. But if we drop one of those games, now we have to take one. Now we have to take one from the Cowboys. Or you're going to back in at nine and seven into the sixth seed, which you could it this doesn't, year, but it, maybe not. Doesn't sound. I mean. I always grew up with the connotation that a 10 and 6 team deserves to be in the playoffs and a 9 and 7 team maybe gets in but doesn't deserve it. That is that could be rightly I mean that doesn't have to be true, but growing up that was always the connotation that double digit wins meant you deserved to be there and not double digit wins meant that it was a joke situation and nobody else is good and you backed in. I don't know. I guess I really thought about it. My theory is, you know, there are rules for a reason. And if you followed all the rules and the rules said that you get in, then you deserve to be in. Yeah. I don't I have a hard time because we've seen teams like the Giants, you know, back into the well, the the 8 and 8 Charlie Batch Detroit Lions. Wasn't there a 7 and 9 team? Yeah, right around uh, the same time. It was Herm Edwards's Chiefs, right? I don't know. Possibly. I don't remember. Uh, but I do remember a 7-9 and nine team, I think, getting in. But there was a year where the bottom of the end of the NFC was really weird. And I The 7-9 and nine Seahawks got in one time. Yeah, I remember right. that. That's, I do remember that, too. Yeah. yeah. So, I don't know. It's it's. We should all take a second, real quick, and just realize all of Bill's Mafia, or a significant portion of Bill's Mafia, is in this headspace and talking about this in some way. And we're, we're kind of like hemming and hawing about, are we going to get the fifth seed? Are we going to get the sixth seed? Are we not going to get in at all? And how the not get in at all probably feels familiar, but how unusual what so many of us have had for about two decades, right? 20 years of our adult lives. Some of us who are younger, this is like, these are first time experiences where you're talking about this being at this position, being situated in this sort of a seed at this stage of the season. And we're talking about it rather nonchalantly. And I, I think that it every now and then it is a nice reminder to sit back and say, wow, you know, this is a bad season, bad teams, weak schedule, whatever you want to say. It's, it is pretty cool to feel in this position. You could be Who's a four and four team right now? How about the Bears? Yeah, you could be the Bears. Four and six. You're thinking Mitchell Trubisky's not the guy. You just watched him really, really do not great, Bob, last night on Sunday Night Football against the Rams. He left with a hip injury, and you go, well, was last year a mirage? Last year, we had the coach of the year, and we had a Pro Bowl quarterback, and Bruce is full of crap because he said Mitchell Trubisky's not the guy, and and then this year, it just comes crashing down. And Khalil Mack was kept completely off the stat sheet last night, and you're thinking to yourself, well, we gave up a lot of assets for two players, Khalil Mack, who's still a great player, and Mitchell Trubisky, but now you're thinking, Matt Nagy is... Is Matt Nagy the problem? All of a sudden, all these things you thought were sure things. You thought Matt Nagy was a sure thing. Get the offensive genius. And then you got Mitchell Trubisky, who's a pro bowler, and you're rubbing it all in our faces. Ah, Trubisky's the man. And then it all comes crashing down around you. We're not there. And 
think about this way. We went through the entire drought. It was 17 years. And now it's potentially two out of three years we're in. Yeah. And I think that what's, I mean, you think about it that way. How many coaching staffs, I mean, there's a number, it's it's large, have just like clawed and struggled and lost sleep and acid reflux and all of the all of the stress that they went through trying truly their hardest to get the Buffalo Bills into the playoffs and never could do it. And Sean McDermott's here and two out of three years maybe is going to quote unquote back his way into the playoffs, but get something out of teams that most people thought this team isn't supposed to win this many games. And, and that even happened in the year we didn't make the playoffs. We still won more games than people thought we should have. The, Vegas over under line was six and a half. You and I smashed that over a lot this offseason. I said, listen, I I picked the Bills to go eight and eight. Okay. It's not like I said that they were going to win 12 games, but I was sure that six and a half was fairly under. And you see the sporting news and all these people come out. Oh, the Bills are going to be four and 12. They're going to be five and 11. And here we are. And, here, got- and who's going to be good in their place? Uh, the New York Jets and the Cleveland Browns. Yeah. The Jets will be 10 and six with no offensive line. How's that working out for you? Yeah. Now, to be fair, the Jets beat up really good on the Redskins yesterday, and good for them. Their faith in Adam Gase and Sam Darnold is now renewed. Monish Mehta has a plenty of uh, plenty of positive things to tweet about now, uh, because I love, I, I absolutely love Monish. I love him. Um, he's a fan who just happens to write for the New York Daily News, so he swings emotionally left and right, just like a fan does. It's awesome. I think it's great. I don't have any comment. I don't feel the same way about Bash. <laughs> but the so what do you think of this there were there were two stories that we heard about as far as the Bills trying to create a mindset that maybe they didn't have previously. And that was around Sean McDermott having a conversation with Josh Allen and maybe a conversation with Brian Dable. We, we don't know. But Josh Allen telling him to play fearless. Maybe he was talking to the whole offense. I don't I don't know. But it was Josh Allen seemed to take it as an endorsement of belief in him, which is an important thing, admittedly. And then there was also the story of Tremaine Edmonds, who gave an impassioned um, some it seems impromptu, baby. Speech to the team Saturday night before they I don't know at their evening meeting or whatever it is that they do on Saturday night, and he kind of asked players to go back in their minds to this is a, this is a, a summary of what we know of the conversation, but he asked his teammates to go back in their mind whenever they played football, you know, as young as younger kids. And about how, at that point, it was probably a lot of joy. And you played, quote-unquote, free, right? You kind of you kind of just, you played fast, you enjoyed the game, you wanted to hit people, or you wanted to get open. It, there was a lot more of the game part of the game was present, rather than the business part of the game. And he said to, he tried to encourage his, his teammates to recapture that and play with that kind of energy on Sunday. Now, I think that, whether or not those rah-rah experiences actually moved the needle on individual player performance, I, I'm I'm susceptible to think that the answer to that is yes, but I, I won't force that down anybody's throat because I know there are certainly people who are skeptics. In either way, 
I think that fearless and free or loose or whatever you would want to say, how whatever you know, sort of um, synonym you would want to use, is a rather accurate description of how the team played compared to how they have played, you know, in some games previously. Do you think there's anything to that as far as it moved the needle for the Bills' performance on Sunday? The players say that there is. And if they say that there is, who am I to say there's not? If the players say, you know, Tremaine, you know, when he talked to us about that, you know, that that moved the needle for us. That really, that affected us. Who am I to say that it didn't? And if you look at the field and you look at the way that they played, you look at the way specifically Tremaine Edmonds played, it's, you're going to be hard pressed to tell me that it didn't have at least a small amount of effect. There's a difference between playing loose and playing sloppy. And playing fast and playing loose is great. And I think that sometimes when you're trying to cut out sloppiness, and I think this goes to Josh Allen too. Yeah, well, he said fearless, not reckless. Yeah. And when you're trying to cut out sloppiness, sometimes the solution there is to be more rigid. And you got to find that balance between being able to play loose within structure. So I have this structure, and this structure protects me. It protects my throws from sailing because I have these mechanics that I follow. Maybe if you want to talk about a non-football metaphor, I have a budget, and I live within the budget, and that budget keeps me from going into bankruptcy. But you have to be able to play loose within structure. Those two things have to exist simultaneously. And I think maybe maybe Josh Allen, by his own admission last week, said, you know, maybe I'm maybe I'm overthrowing them because I'm afraid I'm getting picked. And maybe Sean McDermott heard that and said, listen, I want to reiterate something. Okay. We have a structure here. And you got to play within the structure. But within the structure that you know is going to protect you. If you have confidence in that structure, and as long as I stay within the structure, it'll protect me then you can play loose within that structure. And the same thing applies to the defense. When you say, listen, I know I have my job. My job is this gap. Or my job is to rush. Or this is my job. This guy is my job. Or this zone is my job. I know that's my job. But within that job, I can play loose because I'm so confident in the structure. And I'm so confident I can do my job that it allows me to play looser and play faster while still remaining within structure. I think the budget analogy is pretty interesting because if you've ever been in a stage of life, and I certainly have, where you are living within a budget and the budget is uh, the budget's tight you know it's not a very it's not a very fun laden budget right it can feel very joyless it can feel very survival oriented and I'm not necessarily painting the players as having felt that way but you can imagine that if you're doing something the, the amount of hours that that football players do their their craft you know is I, I don't I couldn't even imagine how many hours I, I couldn't accurately guess how many hours a week NFL players are into their work but when you are doing that and it feels like you're on a budget the whole experience is like you're on a budget. It's regimented, and it's regimented in a way that isn't empowering. It's regimented in a way that feels stifling. 
You know, if the Bills were getting into that way with all the gap integrity talk and the 111th and all of that, if it started to feel or players were starting to experience a lack of joy because of it, and then you can introduce some of that looseness. Now, I'm not, again, this isn't a perfect analogy because going off budget typically has some negative consequences that, that you know, potentially playing fast or loose or whatever you want to say doesn't. But you can imagine, you can understand, I think, just in our, from our experiences as, you know, regular people, Whenever you do all of a sudden get a little bit of an injection of you've got a little bit to, to play with and you can live off budget for two weeks, you know, there's a lot. There's like there's freedom and there's joy and there's, you know, there's comfort and you don't have to there's less stress. You don't have to worry. And I think that that, you know, it seemed like the Bills played with more of those kinds of experiences or feelings against the Dolphins than we had probably seen since early this season. Yeah, I think it's especially true on the defensive side of the ball with all the blitzing and the aggressiveness in which they played, I think they played a little off budget. And they said, you know what, they're going to hit us with a big player too, but we're going to hit them with a big player too, too. And I think that that's a... Actually, I kind of like that budget analogy. It's 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 kind of nice. I think we're going to go with it. Playing off budget. Yeah, Playing I like off that. budget. I like that. I like yeah, that. It's not bad. It's a Nick and, Nolan, uh, Nick and Nolan trademark. I want a nickel every time you say it. Yeah, there you go. It's, yeah. a, it's a little little, uh, little NNN special there. I don't even know what that means. No one knows what it means, but it's provocative. Let's go ahead and take a quick break, and then we will come back, and I think we're going to get more into the defense. I don't know if we're going to do that first, but we'll, we're going to get more into the defense and their aggressiveness and what we saw on Sunday and go through the other narratives that are coming out of the, the Bills' victory over the Dolphins on Sunday. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Nick Bat. You can find me on Twitter at N-I-C-K-B-A-T, along with me as always. Well, holy crap. I'm Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter at B-R-U-C-E-E-X-C-L-U-S-I-V-E. But I've always spelled it right? Exclusive? Yeah, you did. I think you did. But I've always done. I've always spelled mine out. You haven't. I know it was it was the, it was the, it was the, it was the cadence the cadence. Out. Yeah, it was. I wasn't expecting. It was, you it was can't. Like, you just don't. You shouldn't try to match. It was like Omaha up in here. <laughs> Omaha, Omaha. <laughs> it's like yelling at me. You want to talk about defense first? We were just talking about the defense. We can sure, go. Right let's back. go. Okay, okay. So. One of the things I think was very noticeable about this game was I texted you during the game. I don't know. I know you didn't respond. I don't know if you were watching it or not watching it or where you were. I was. Um, I was watching it on my phone. Mm. And so when you texted me, I was like, I can't respond. Yeah, yeah. I'm watching. But I, I texted you in the middle of it and just said, we are blitzing a lot. Like, we are blitzing way more than Sean McDermott, Leslie Frazier, their, their average per series or per game or whatever. And, you know, I, I, it worked out wonderfully because we were taking advantage of a team that was really, really down. What did you see as far as the aggressiveness on defense in a, in like an, you know, a little bit more in-depthly on Sunday? A couple things. Number one, when you and I did our Sean McDermott pod this offseason, we talked about the influences that Jim Johnson, former 
Eagles defensive coordinator, late defensive coordinator, had on Sean McDermott. And specifically, you asked me, Bruce, what did he keep? And we talked about the double A gap blitz, which we saw a lot on Sunday. Milano and Edmonds were crashing through the middle of that line quite a bit. They were doing it on stunts. They were doing it straight up, head up. They were doing it from off ball. They were doing it from on the line of scrimmage. Milano and Edmonds were crashing through the line of scrimmage. And the other thing is that you and I talked about Tremaine Edmonds at length this offseason. And I mentioned that when he was coming out, we think of him now as a middle linebacker. But when he was coming out, a lot of people thought maybe he could be a 3-4 outside linebacker because of his frame. An edge. and An edge player. A pass rush primary because, yeah, exactly, because of what a freak he is and because of how violently he can crash down the outside. And they thought, well, this guy's got some bend to him. I think I think he'd be a pass rusher. So people really get in love with size on the edge, don't they? The length. It's the length. It's the idea that you have that ideal length to be able to do the pass rush moves that are necessary. I mean, think of it this way. Um, you know, interior, that's where length is less important because the pass rush moves are different. For example, you're not going to one-arm somebody on the inside nearly as often. That's not a move. That's an interior pass rusher move. Mostly because you're going directly at the person, not Correct. trying to get around them. Correct. There is no way to get around them. So if you if you long arm the person, right, that length matters. If you don't have the length, you can't use that move. That's just a move you can't use. That's just not in your repertoire anymore. And so Tremaine Edmonds being the freak that he is, is I'm unsurprised that he's such a great blitzer. We talked about this before. We knew he was a great blitzer. Him being such a great blitzer from the middle linebacker position is a rare thing because middle linebackers in zone-based defenses, think about people like Brian Urlacher. Think about Luke Keekley. These people are not known as being crazy blitzers. But again, for the millionth time, Tremaine Edmonds is a freak. And so having someone with that length not only causes problems in passing lanes, but he can also crash down as a blitzer and really put a, a hurting on a 300-pound center. Like, when you give Tremaine Edmonds two yards of head start and he comes at you, eh, you know, we've talked about Mitch Morse not being an anchor-down power center. I wouldn't want to see Mitch Morse trying to anchor against Tremaine Edmonds coming down full speed at him. I, I think that would go poorly. And so if you have a center who's not really that type of center or you have a guard who's a little undersized in his own base scheme, Tremaine Edmonds can come right at you with a full head of steam and that's going to be uncomfortable. And that's just the same type of pressure that you're getting from a penetrator like Ed Oliver or Aaron Donald. It looked like Lorenzo Alexander was rushing a lot too. A lot. Every every rep he was on the field, it seemed like he was he was defensive line oriented. What we were seeing from the strong side position from Lorenzo Alexander is what you were seeing was you were seeing a scenario where where your guy stays in, you go. Um, a lot of times you hear this referred to as green dog. Green dog blitz is a is a man coverage concept where if you're in your linebacker and you're in man coverage on a player and that player stays in to block, you go. That's what's called a green dog, right? So it's a, it's a call. But the point being that Lorenzo Alexander is was like, well, I'm, I'm going to stay here. And if my guy stays in, I'm going. And that's how we get big plays in the, the negative running game. Now, obviously, that's an aggressive move because if his guy sneaks out behind him in the passing game or... Delayed release, right? Yeah, delayed release. Or he, you know, he chips... 
but then he releases and Lorenzo Alexander reads it wrong, or if they counter back to his side and then he's too far upfield and they get underneath him. Like, there are risks to this kind of stuff, but Lorenzo Alexander, again, they were playing aggressively. And he came after it, and he was a big catalyst to what we were trying to do to stop the run defense. Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier correctly said, listen, this run defense thing, we're going to have to be a little more aggressive about this. This is not just about gap integrity. This is also about we got to make a play because we can't sit back and let them smack us around and react to what they're doing. Let's go get them. Do you anticipate putting that on film is going to encourage the Broncos to offensively try to take advantage of the green dog stuff? Maybe, but they don't know if it's a tendency or a game plan at this point. Because we don't know if it's a tendency or a game plan. I don't think Leslie Frazier knows if it's a tendency or it's a game plan. I will say that against a running game that is much better than the Dolphins. The Dolphins are absolutely pathetic running game. Keelan Bellage is a joke as a running back. I, 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 don't, I don't see why they would play him anymore. I really don't. And, you know, Philip Lindsay can play. And the boy's got some wheels. If you make a mistake against Philip Lindsay, he'll take he'll take it 60 yards. This is the Broncos running back. Yeah. It's not the same. So the the game plan might not be the same, but it's something they have to prepare for. The snap counts on the defensive line seemed different. Shaq Lawson got maybe more run than Trent Murphy. Ed Oliver got a lot of run again, and that was something that we didn't see previously. Star Latulale uh, made a he was he blew up a screen pass. He had a sack. These are uh, I'm speechless. <laughs> There's literally I don't I don't even know uh, what to say about those things happening because they 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 don't happen. In general, what did you see on the? Snap count along the defensive line. Anything of interest? It was my preferable snap count. This is the most ideal snap count divvy of the defensive line that I've seen all year. Shaq Lawson is a better player than Trent Murphy. This is this is Bruce approved. This is Bruce approved. Shaq Lawson is a better player. Starla Tule is not a good enough player to have him take away significant snaps from Jordan Phillips, Ed Oliver, or Corey Legion, who you Ooh. and I talked about. Corey Legion, too legit to quit. Yeah, I like I. I every time Corey Legit made a play, I was like, ah, this this is warm in Bruce's heart. Yeah, he might not have any. He might not have any heat, (laughs) but Corey Corey Legit was warming Bruce's heart. I I I openly admit I am an unabashed Corey Legit fan, and I specifically said that he was a backup who was likely to take snaps away from the starter and. He kind of uh, did. Both, both of us actually got right on that, so we'll talk about that in a few minutes. So that's something. And oh, by the way, in case you're wondering what Nick is referring to, um, I just got heat back in my house about an hour and a half ago. We're, we're recording this un, unusually early on Monday night. So. And on Sunday morning, I woke up to a cold house and cold water, and I said, oh, this is unfortunate. So I did the typical Bruce thing. Let's diagnose the problem, right? So I went to the tankless water, well, hot water here first, and I got a code 11. So I looked up in the manual what a code 11 is, and code 11 says, you don't have any gas to there. So I checked the gas, and it was on to the tankless hot water heater. So then I go to the stovetop and see if the burners will light, and they don't light. And I go, okay, that's it's not a tankless hot We don't have any gas. So then... I check my account online and I see 
you know, they got my payments. Like they didn't shut off the gas on me. So the, che- the checks cleared. The checks are cleared. <laughs> they, they paid them. So that's when I called them, and they said, "Yes, there's an outage in your town. About two thousand people are out of oh, out two thousand people." And yeah, I said, "Okay, so what's the deal?" They said, "Well, someone hit a main line, and it's going to be bad for a while." And I said, "Define a while." They said, "We don't know. We have to send people out. We have eighty-four crews dispatched to your town to try and get this fixed." And so everyone was out of heat. Last night, yesterday, last night, all through the night, all through today, we just got heat. And you're not, you're not in a town that is like the uppity suburb where like the 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 people are going to make a stink and it's going to get fixed as fast as humanly possible. No, I'm in a town where we all just bundle together and uh, we we light a bonfire out back and we're like, hey, everybody's fine. Everybody yeah, come over th- to my place. I think people are burning trash in your town on the regular. Yeah, that's pretty much. <laughs> so, not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with that. No, but, not, not really. But that's why he was warming my heart. Corey Legit was warming my heart. So I, I'm good with the defensive line snaps. I think that Ed Oliver getting more play is good. I think that it feels to me like maybe the staff overreacted and thought Ed Oliver was the cause of the running problems and then realized after a couple weeks of tape, they're like, oh, he's not. He's not the running game problems. And he's not. And Ed Oliver had a good game yesterday. I'm still not worried about Oliver. I will still fight you if you want to fight me about Ed Oliver sucking. Ed Oliver had some good rushes. His sack yesterday, yesterday was like the worst play of his day. Yeah. He did nothing. He ha- he had a couple I saw a highlight I think it was from cover 1 or yards per pass where he had a he had like a a one-arm disengage where he just basically slapped that offensive lineman away from him. He would have gotten a sack if Lawson had gotten yeah, there a really. split second earlier. Well, it was it was really upsetting because I mean it was disturbing for me. I'm watching it, you know, for the first time, not in the throw of the game and wanting the sack, just watching at the end, knowing what the end result of the game was. Three Bills individually just whooped their man, and I just cannot imagine. I, mean, I still have affection for Ryan Fitzpatrick. I mean. Good lord. It was it, he was I mean it felt like oh my he's dead already. Stop! Stop! He's already dead. It was that kind of a feeling, you know. Fitzpatrick's such a baller though. Yeah, he's such he's, a baller. Well, you, you know, have to. And you know what? This this is this may be the last hurrah for Fitzpatrick. Um he's on a 2-year deal. So they'll probably let him start next year ahead of whatever rookie they decide to draft. I cannot wait until Ryan Fitzpatrick's playing career is over and he comes back in some way, shape, or form to join the Bills' like media arrangement. Oh I, I, yes, I, I really, and I, <clears throat> I pardon me, I'm not trying to take anybody's job. I have no idea what's going on with John Murphy or Sal Capaccio or anything. But like, can you imagine if Fitz was on the sideline or something, and Eric Wood was up in the booth? Or I mean, again, I, I'm not, I'm in no way, shape, or form saying I don't like what we have, but just I love Fitz. And you know, did you see the? You, did you notice there was the run that he did? I think it was the 22, 23 yard run. It was a holding play that called it back, and they showed the like it was a nice close up of him when he. Realized there was a penalty on the play. He just like tilts his head back, is like, and he's laughing because he's still enjoying the game so much, despite the punishment and the beating that he takes. And he's just like, no. <laughs> I love Fitz. Yeah, you, you cannot get me to stop loving Ryan Fitzpatrick. I, you and I pounded the table for him to come back as Josh Allen's. Yeah, that would have been. It still would have been ideal. It still would be great. Okay. Oh, well. So. Kevin Johnson and Levi Wallace in the second half were splitting reps, right? 
Yeah, Kevin Johnson has eaten into Levi Wallace, and I think that that's probably a good thing at this point. I will, I will spike the football on that. Is what? is it is it scheme zone versus man? Levi seems to be better zone than man corner. Yeah, I think that Levi struggles more in man coverage than in zone. That's just anecdotally. I don't have the the actual snaps in front of me about it, but it seems to me that that's the case, mostly because he simply lacks the frame to be able to maintain ideal body position against a bigger receiver, and he lacks the speed to be able to get you know get his wheels about a smaller faster receiver. So, it's one of those things where he loses a lot of there's a lot of scenarios in which Levi Wallace is losing physically. And that's the reason why he was an undrafted free agent. It doesn't mean he can't be a productive corner. It just means I don't know if you can rely on him to hold down his side regardless of what comes his way. You like what you see of Kevin Johnson? I do. I uh, I was on with Joe Marino on from Locked On Bills about in the offseason about the defensive backfield and I said it was kind of like Goldilocks I said we had a a, a ceiling a floor and then a just right you know we had <laughs> and, and that was a scenario when we had a three-man race for that CB2 spot and I said the floor was EJ Gaines remember him so the floor was EJ Gaines and what I mean by that is we know what we have in EJ Gaines EJ Gaines is a perfectly reliable starter who just can't seem to get healthy All right that's the floor Worst case scenario is we have EJ Gaines. I said the ceiling is Kevin Johnson because Kevin Johnson has those physical tools that made him a mid-first round pick that Levi Wallace and EJ Gaines don't have. Kevin Johnson has elite physical traits. He's got that length. He's got the, the wheels. He's got skills. He's a little slender. He is a little slender, but the length is important. The speed is important, and he's not... He's not a weak guy. He's a little slender, but he's not weak. And then I said the unknown, of course, was the middle uh, is Levi Wallace. We don't know what we're going to get in him. So I, I always thought from the beginning that Kevin Johnson could be the ceiling at the position. And maybe this was a, hey, we have to let Levi kind of lose the job first. But I'm really not that worried because I thought highly of Kevin Johnson coming out of Wake Forest. I think he played in a scheme that translates pretty well to what Sean McDermott does. So I'm, I don't say optimistic, but I'm cautiously optimistic that Kevin Johnson could end up being an upgrade anyway. I'm letting myself getting carried, I'm letting myself get carried away and I'm watching myself do it and I'm just, go have at it, Nick. Just, just run through that field, arms open. Paul, you know what? You ever see that? You know, you know the imagery I'm talking about. Person's running through a field. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's the sound of music. We talked about it last week. Well, sure, okay, but it's up to your it's up to your thigh and in like you know tall grass or flowers or whatever. You know what is ridiculous in that? The the f-ing pollen. You would be nobody's happy in that circumstance. Well, I don't have a pollen allergy. Oh, I yeah. That is not. That looks like just put me down. <laughs> like just 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 pull out just do the, the of mice and men tell me to think about the rabbits and look away and put me down if I am in that field because I cannot breathe. I am miserable. My my nose is running in that circumstance like the cold water faucet that you had at your house. I mean it is it is it is not good. Nick is standing in the middle of the field looking at me. In the distance, going, you know what? I can't make it to you. Just, just, <laughs> yeah. just hit me from there. <laughs> yeah, just, I just, can't. I hope you just, have a rifle because that's what I need in this circumstance. The I'm letting myself getting get carried away with the idea that Kevin Johnson is the answer, and that the future of this 
defensive backfield could be Kevin Johnson on a is he on a one year deal? He's right on now? a one year deal on a on, a, on an extension prove it deal because one year deal is isn't necessarily a prove it deal. It's kind of like a can you even like stay on? Can you stay healthy? Deal. I would love to see an extension of a two year deal with him or something like that, where it's him and Trey White and and I don't want to get rid of Levi Wallace, but he would be more of a rotational piece. I'm really excited because you're talking about a you really are talking about elite talent of Trey White and Kevin Johnson on the outside. And this Kevin Johnson has never had a productivity issue. He's had an availability issue. Kevin Johnson was a good player for the Texans when he was healthy. And if he can stay healthy, there's a chance there. I, I don't think it's unreasonable for you to be optimistic about that. Yeah, I'm going to spike that ball because we both got that right. Corey Legit was going to take reps from anybody on the defensive line and Kevin Johnson take reps from Levi Wallace. We got that one right at our at our Rumbly Awards episode. Who did Ed Oliver take reps from? Was it Star? Because Corey Legit got a lot of reps. Yes, yeah, Star. Star went down. Corey Legit didn't get like single digit reps, which is what you would expect from a player who just got picked up, right? I think Corey Legit got seventeen percent of the reps, and Star Latule got twenty eight. But Star was down in the twenties for the first time in a while, and that's unusual for Star. So really, it was we took some of Star's reps, we gave some to Ed, and we gave some to Corey. Okay, so I want to know, because I think at this point in time, that the, if this continues, if the defensive line continues to play this way, this is going to be a part of what we are going to hear more and more and more. And it is going to be Sign, Shaq, and or Jordan Phillips. And, you know, I don't know necessarily how I feel about either of those. I want to keep Jordan Phillips. Shaq Lawson is, if he fits, I mean, he is a draft, he's a draftee from a previous regime, which those guys typically do not have a whole lot of staying power with Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott. So, you know, I, I would be curious if he's going to land another deal now whenever they declined his fifth year option and they're going to sign him to something legitimate. It, it, it's The whole thing is an interesting circumstance, but... We've got a the Bills got to start writing a lot of checks really soon to guys like a lot of checks. We got to write a check to Trey White. We got to write a check to probably Jordan Poyer. We got to write a check to Matt Milano. We're going to have to write I mean we know we're going to have to write a check to Trey Edmonds. We're going to have to write a check to Deion Dawkins. I mean, we're going to have to write some serious checks, and we still have holes on the offensive line because with Ty and Secchi out, we're going to get a really firm answer about Cody Ford at right tackle because there's nobody else. We're not going to be rolling, you know, Ryan Bates out there, and so then you know, Quentin Spain is he gone? So there's just there's just worked. You know, the, the the offensive line isn't finished, and I think that I would like the Bills to continue to make that a priority of spending money there. So. What would it pretend like if these guys just go to free agency? What do you think Jordan Phillips and Shaq Lawson are going to get? And does it make sense for the Bills to carve out a portion of their salary cap to do that? Okay, so there are two questions that you have to go through when you're determining if the Bills are or should keep someone, are going to or should keep someone. The first is the most important question which is, can there be an alignment between what the player thinks they are 
and what the team thinks they are. You and I have talked about this before. There has to be an agreement. If the team thinks you're one thing and the player thinks you're something else, unless the team thinks you're a franchise player and the player thinks he's a rotational player, and he's like, well, I'll take that extra money. Thank you very much. Unless that's the case, there won't get a deal done. So that's the first thing. What does Shaq Lawson think he is? What does Jordan Phillips think he is? What do their representations think they are? Because you have to set a market value for those people. And then their interpretation of what they are has to line up with what the team thinks they are. Well, I think that the answer for Jordan Phillips is rather easy. I mean, a de- yes. an interior defensive lineman with seven sacks and probably more on the way. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. He's he's. I think that there would be a unanimous opinion of probably what he is. So, that's the first thing. The second thing is, how far beneath elite do you want to start re-upping people? Because there comes to be a time in roster building where the level of play you're getting from someone is replaceable at a much lower cost through the draft. That's just the way it is because free agency overinflates values. It's just the way it is. So there's a certain level of play. Well, you're you're paying for a known commodity. Correct. There's a certain level of play that can get replaced easier. So how far down the chart do you go before you say you know what no i'm not going to resign that third string defensive tackle i can get one of those in free agency or whatever the case may be so those are the two things you have to consider when you're thinking about whether you resign someone let's walk through some defensive line contracts that are right now to try and give us some idea on jordan phillips and shaq lawson Aaron Donald makes $22.5 million a year. Demarcus Lawrence makes 21. Frank Clarks makes tw- just under 21. Can you can you when you say them, can you say whether or not they're interior or exterior? Sure. So obviously Aaron, Aaron Donald's, Donald's interior. interior. Dem- Demarcus Lawrence and Frank Clark are both edge rushers. Trey Flowers is an edge rusher. He's at 18 million. Frank Frank Clark's not having a good year, is he? He is not. Saints defensive lineman Cameron Jordan. I'm going to spike the ball on this one. Um in 2011 when Marcel Darius was coming out. I had two really hot takes in the draft. The first was Cameron Jordan would be a better player than Marcel Darius. I was right. I want to spike the ball on that one. The second was Prince of Mukamara would be a better player than Patrick Peterson. Swings and misses. Ooh. Not, not that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get that one. So I'm, I'm going to spike the ball on one of those takes, and then I'm going to just... Slowly you just fe- stepping back into the hedges. You just, on the other one. Yeah, the, the Homer gif. Yeah, right. You just you fell in love with the name Prince. I don't know what to That's tell gotta you. That's got to be what it is. The 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 corner formerly known as Prince. Forty uh, <laughs> ers defensive lineman D Ford edge rusher seventeen million a year. Defensive lineman Olivier Vernon Browns seventeen million edge rusher. Fletcher Cox interior seventeen million. See the second interior then it's Aaron Donald to Fletcher Cox. Yes. Okay. Grady Jarrett, Falcons defensive lineman, interior, $17 million. J.J. Watt, he's a 5-tech in a 3-4 defensive scheme, so technically you consider him an interior lineman. He's $16.5 million. These are the top 10 defensive line contracts. Now, do you think that, do you think someone's going to offer Jordan, Jordan Phillips $16 million a year? Fletcher Cox money. Yeah. Maybe. 
if someone thinks this is the beginning of what he is going to tap into, if they think that you're seeing the beginning of an ascension, then someone will offer him some ridiculous money. And if, if someone offers him $16 million, uh, You're not interested? I'm not interested in, in him at $16 million a year. But if you start to slowly get this down... What's Geno Atkins making? $16 million a year. Yeah, shit. K1 <laughs> Short, uh, former Panthers player, interior defensive lineman, not former Panthers player, but former Sean McDermott player. He's a Panthers player now. $16 million a year. Marcel Darius is next on the list from the Doug Whaley contract, who has been a complete bust in Jacksonville. $14 million. Linvel Joseph is $12 million. Sheldon Richardson's twelve. Now, Sheldon Richardson is one of the newest contracts there because he was given that contract by the Browns in the offseason. So, Starla Tulele is next on the list at $10 million. So, here's the thing. If we can sign Jordan Phillips at $10 million a year for three years, I'd do it in a split second. What about 12? Sheldon Richardson money. I'd do, I'd do that too. But if you get to 14, 15, 16 million, I'm out. So it depends yeah. on what he thinks. If he thinks he's at the cusp of being elite and he should get $15 million a year, I'd say let him go. Okay. So. Shaq Lawson, I mean, edge rushers get a lot of money, but I don't think Shaq thinks that he's in, he doesn't deserve that money. I mean, the the, the top 10 pass rusher money. He He's self-aware, I would hope. Everyone in his camp is self-aware enough to know that's not the case. Absolutely. Now, Jordan Phillips has the sack numbers, and again, we've talked about over and over again, interior defensive line pressure is very coveted and very valuable. So I think it's far more likely that Jordan Phillips is going to get Top end money than Shaq Lawson is absolutely. Gonna, you Jordan know, Phillips will command a bigger contract. Now, yeah. Shaq Lawson, if you look at the edge rushers, Demarcus Lawrence, Frank Clark, Trey Flowers, Cameron Jordan, D. Ford, Olivier Vernon, Melvin Ingram, sixteen now, sixteen million, Jason Pierre-Paul at fifteen, Calais Campbell, Everson Griffin, Danielle Hunter, Carlos Dunlap, Brandon Graham, Justin Houston, Jerry Hughes. I mean, stop me if we get to a player that we okay. think is reasonable. Yeah, with comparison. Shaq Lawson. Okay, keep going. Keep Jerry going. Hughes. Ziggy Ansah, Jabal Sheer. Ziggy Ansah's after what? What is Ziggy Ansah making? Nine million. Good lord. Okay, keep going. Jabal Sheard, Nick Bosa, who's a rookie, he's on rookie contract. Michael Bennett, Robert Quinn, Cleveland Farrell, Miles Garrett, what's Trent Cle- Murphy? Seven and a half million. What's Jerry making? Average per year. Um, Jerry's making ten, a little over ten. I would give Shaq Trent, Trent Murphy money. Eight million. Yeah, I mean, I like so so Trent Murphy's Trent Murphy's number for, was three years, twenty one million. We're gonna clear a little bit of cap in this circumstance because in my mind, you're gonna move at this point. Let's just assume. I mean, this is not a th- fair thing to assume because things change week over week. But if you assume that the product productivity that we're getting from the interior from the line as it stands right now just continues until the end of the season, I'm probably in the camp of let's move on from Starla Tule. You can't. I thought that next year you could. $7.3 million dead cap hit. I mean, you can. Oh, see, I thought that it was less than that. Wow, that is a lot of job security for Star. Okay, well, I guess you, you don't want to dump that $7 million. Ooh, that makes That makes signing Jordan Phillips really hard. And it also is weird because one of the things we praised Brandon Bean for this offseason was signing people to contracts where you could get out of them. 
And then you look at the you look at the Star Latula contract and you go, uh, he has an eighteen million dollar dead cap hit this year. <laughs> Next year it's seven point eight. Twenty twenty one it's five point two. Twenty twenty two it's two point six. Jesus. That's, That's this is all according to Spot Track. Right. Holy goodness. Okay. Well, let's just put a pin in that then. God, that makes it really hard to sign Jordan, I think. I don't can- think we're going to. I think unless Star, sorry, unless Jordan Phillips thinks he's a $10 million a year player and he just loves Buffalo and he's like, man, I just want my money. Give me three years, $30 million with 18 mil guaranteed. I mean, the Bills could eat that seven, right? It's a one-year hit. Is that right? Yes. So if we eat the seven, then... It sucks for 2020, but we've got a shit ton of cap space anyway in 2020. You could eat that seven without it, like, it's not going to sink your battleship, right? Yeah, I don't think it would sink us. we got a ton of cap room right. this year. Well, I will still go out there and say then they might just have to bite the bullet and move on from a bad contract, and, and they got to take their medicine on that. If they move on from Star... And then they have whatever savings they have. They can they could put it on Phillips, eat the seven, eat the seven. That's the only situation I could see. But then you have then you have a four man interior rotation, if everyone's healthy, of Jordan Phillips, Ed Oliver, Corey Legit, which he seems to have found life in this in this scheme. Oh, I'm for it. You're not gonna you're not gonna, <laughs> you're not gonna hear me say no on Corey Legit and then Harrison Phillips coming back. And then Harrison Phillips coming back. I I, I like that. I like that a lot. And then on the outside, you've got Jerry Hughes and Shaq Lawson both making decent money. I mean Hugh I mean Lawson would be making Trent Murphy money. You could move on from Trent Murphy. You still got Daryl Johnson on a rookie contract if you're going to keep him. I mean, he hasn't been terribly productive. And then you looking at supplementing that probably in the draft. I mean, unless you, I mean, that is such an expensive position to pay on the free agent market. I can't imagine the Bills going and getting any kind of significant talent from the defensive end market. I would highly doubt it. What do you think? This is going to upset a lot of people, but I I, I don't. Not, neither. I I don't think we're going to do either. Would you? Do you want Chuck, them? You don't think we will do either? Would do you? Would you want us to do either for what you think they will actually command? Not would not a deal, but what you think they're going to get on the open market if they were to go there? Would you want the bills to write either of those checks? No. That's a lot of work in the draft or free agency. Then I mean, that's a lot of work. Well, coming into this year. Did we think Jordan Phillips was going to have seven sacks? I mean, you you got to think about it. All of a sudden, are you telling me that in 10 games, Jordan Phillips went from, hey, he's a good story, I'm glad he's a good rotational player, to, oh my gosh, we can't live without him? How quickly we forget as Bills fans. I just don't think that's the case. I don't think Jordan Phillips is a, we literally can't live without him kind of player. Yeah, I don't know. Despite what the sack numbers say. I think he's a good player, and I would re-sign him. But someone else is going to think he's a can't-live-without-you player. Someone else is going to write him a ridiculous check. It does warm my heart that Miami couldn't get anything out of him. I love it, and I love the fact. (laughs) I, I love it. I love it. I absolutely love it. And I love Jordan Phillips. I love the story, and I love how well he's embraced Buffalo, having no experience with this even part of the country, and now he wears specialized cleats about circling the wagons and breaking tables and how he's always trying to pump up the crowd. I love Jordan Phillips. Jordan Phillips is a great energy player to have. He does more for this team than just sack the quarterback. 
And that's awesome. But someone's going to offer him a ridiculous amount of money. How do you think we solve the depth issues at both of those positions if both those guys walk? Because you're, I mean, are you going to keep Trent Murphy then? If if you let Shaq walk, are you going to supplement in the draft? Maybe pick up a veteran, and you're going to keep Trent Murphy. You're going to keep rolling him out there. I think edge rusher should be the first pick of the draft for us. I understand. I mean, you're still the way that these guys, the way that this coaching staff uses a defensive line rotation. You're still talking about Jerry Hughes in our first round draft pick. Right, it'd be Jerry Hughes, first round draft pick, Trent Murphy, and Daryl Johnson as the four. I don't really like that that much. I mean, I guess I don't know who the first round draft pick is, but sure, I don't like that depth a whole lot. Well, I mean, Daryl Johnson has the tools, and a year into his development would be great. The reason we drafted him late is because you take a flyer on people who have tools. And Daryl Johnson has tools. Yeah. But the reason he's a seventh-round pick isn't because he wasn't toolsy. The reason he was a seventh-round pick is because he wasn't there. But after a full year, he might be. Yeah, I guess. And then he also got Mike Love you know, coming back, and who knows. All right. Let's take another quick break, then we will come back, finish up. We're going to talk about Josh Allen. Can you believe it? We'll talk about Josh Allen, and then we will break down the upcoming game against the Denver Broncos. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm Nick Bat. You can find me on Twitter at Nick Bat. I'm Bruce Exclus. Wait, oh, I'm Bruce Nolan. <laughs> <laughs> you, you messed me up. I'm Bruce Nolan, and my Twitter handle is at Bruce Exclusive because, at, believe it or not, at Bruce Nolan was taken. There's someone out there with my Twitter handle. Poser. Poser. All right. I'm going to have to get a verified check mark. You can't. You have to have your real name on there. Oh, man. Yeah. No, that's not true. That's not true at all. There's a Cleveland guy, Reflog. There's a Cleveland guy who's a big Browns guy. Oh, I don't so know. We, we tweet each other sometimes. Uh, okay, so there was a guy who played on the other side of the ball, not huh. the defensive side of the ball. His name was Josh Allen. Huh. And there are things to talk about here. I... I I am since we talked about it last week. I am just like I am on the soapbox about how we are not appreciating enough that Josh Allen is not missing guys in the flat and skipping balls off the turf. And we're talking about how low his completion percentage is, and he's inaccurate. I mean, he the dude is he is damn near like like he's really really good. I don't know. I don't want to be hyperbolic and like and sound like a just a, like a juiced up fan, but he is so good in the mid-range intermediate stuff. And that is exactly what he was supposed to be god f-ing terrible at. Yeah, yeah, sure. I'm, I'm trying to process I'm trying to process <laughs> your expletive crea- there. Crea- creative cursing. It's very yeah. creative cursing. So I I mean like he was supposed to be so bad at that and I, it could be the, it could be the like the sure-handedness of John Brown and Cole Beasley's making him look better than he otherwise would have, but he is just like these crossing routes and these outs and this like he, he is so good. He is so much better than we prognosticated or everybody prognosticated he would be unless he's throwing an out to his left i don't know if you know this or not i don't but have you seen the splits on josh allen throwing left versus josh allen throwing right oh i haven't no it's not good it's not great bob oh, damn. josh damn. allen is not he's not quite one of the reasons why the mitchell trubisky um conversation comes up is they both have that athleticism that has helped them right and they both can't throw to their left 
It is the strangest oddity that when they go to throw their left, their all their splits just tank. Like all their meaningful statistics go through the floor. And there was a there was a, a wonderful debate on uh, Josh Allen's passing chart in the offseason. And the tweet was, can dot 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 can Josh Allen not throw to his left? And it was like, we need to have a discussion about this. I, but as far as the eye test is concerned, I haven't seen that be a big thing this year. Is it still? Go look it up. It's interesting. Um, it's better than it was, but he has a, a hip opening issue. Had a hip open issue that occasionally still flares up when his mechanics get a little wonky when he's throwing to his left. The pick six he almost threw yeah, yesterday yeah, yeah, was yeah. to his left. Yeah. Um, most of his really bad throws, now that I said it, you're going to start seeing him. But almost all of his really, really bad throws are to his left. Okay, well, let's just talk about the highlights. He was over 300 total yards, four total touchdowns, 250 yards passing, no interceptions for the fifth game in a row. Now, he did try to throw an interception, admittedly. He tried to throw two. Um, <laughs> yeah. that, the, the, the out route to John Brown should have been a pick six. John, it was way inside of him, yeah. and that was a terrible throw. And the, then also— The deep the, ball to John the, Brown, right? The deep ball to John Brown was was okay. Uh, you know, John was, Brown's a great on-demand defensive yeah. back. Did <laughs> you is, know that? <laughs> he is. If we ever need a, a defensive back in a pinch, we're going to send John like, Brown in there. He's going to go with Terrence McGee on you. Yeah, like when John Brown—when the ball is in, in like a bad throw and he needs to play defensive back, like he does not shy away. No Zay Jones in that, man. No Zay Jones in that. But also, the tipped pass that ended up going to John Brown for a touchdown— very easily could have been tipped and been picked. I see. Now, we haven't seen the All-22. I mean, you would know because I don't even watch the All-22. But you, you, The All-22 hasn't come out yet. Right, because it's Monday night. I haven't night. seen it. Yeah. So I, I got the impression that it changed the spin on the ball, but it didn't change the trajectory. A, a little bit. And, and, and another inch or two of that hand, and that's... That's getting tipped up to to a safety. I mean, so if, if I mean, I was under the impression at a live watch that if he threw that pass and it didn't get tipped, it was still a touchdown. If it didn't get tipped, it might have been, but it was about an inch away from being a tip that doesn't go that direction. Uh, so well, it's okay. one of those things where both of those were interceptable throws. Sure. Yeah. So the fact that they didn't get picked doesn't mean they were good passes. It just means that the result was they didn't get picked. So this is one of those reasons why PFF grades come into play. We, you and I talked about this before because EPA and all these statistics all the way up to that point, they're all results-based where pro football, pro football focus grades are process-based. I'm not banging the drum for pro, pro football focus. I'm just saying this relates back to a discussion we had yeah. about this same thing. If you throw an interceptable ball and the guy drops it, that's just as bad of a throw as if you throw that exact same throw and the guy catches it. Yeah, pro football focus will ding you and nobody else does. Yeah, Exactly. Right. So he had a great QBR, speaking of advanced Number statistic. one in the NFL this week. and he But he didn't break 300 yards passing, which is you know a little bit of a whipping boy, potentially, that people like to throw out there and, and, and you know use against somebody. Now, conversely, uh, what, Fitzpatrick had 358 yards passing. Would you rather have him have that game? Yeah, so I want to talk about that 300-yard thing, because you and I have not had an opportunity to weigh in on that. So, I'd like to talk about the 300-yard thing. So, the 10th-ranked quarterback in the NFL by yards per attempt is Jimmy Garoppolo with 7.8 yards per attempt. For those referencing, Josh Allen is at 6.9. Okay? So, at 7.8 yards per attempt, I'm assuming we're all okay with a quarterback being top 10 in yards per attempt. If you're not okay with that, as a Bills fan... I don't know what to tell you. I, I would like to go to there. I want to go to there. Right. Yeah, I'd like to go to that place, please. So if you had a quarterback who was 7.8 yards per attempt, 
That means they would need 38 throws, 38.46 to be specific. But you need 39, 38 throws to get to 300 yards a game. Josh Allen had a career high with 41 attempts last week. Has he had another game this year that has been 40 attempts? High 30s? I don't think so. How many did he have on Sunday? 33. So let's start with that. Let's start with the fact that he, he doesn't throw the ball enough to get 300 yards. So saying that putting that out as an arbitrary raw statistical measurement is... I'm trying to come up with a nice way to say it. Um, obtuse. It's obtuse. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. You come to the Nick and Nolan show for the vocabulary. You guys, I, this happens to me in real life. If I listening to something or watching something and there is a vocabulary word that I know what it means, but for one reason or another, it just isn't in my regular repertoire, then I will make it a point in the next 48 hours to use that word. And how many people are going to be using the word obtuse? The word is obtuse now. <laughs> so the point being that it's just not a good place to start and you're not going to be well-rounded you're not going to be you're not going to start from a good statistical argument if you start with well the 300 yards passing is the thing well what if he only throws the ball 16 times a game then it's an unreasonable measurement yards per attempt you and i talked about this on the again i'm referencing back to the methods of measurement pod if you have not listened to the methods of measurement pod go back and listen to it it is a not time sensitive pod it is an evergreen pod go back and listen to it it was from the bye week Evergreen, that's another and, word. <laughs> yes, I'm just I'm, I'm, I'm loading up on all the points here. The point being that yards per attempt is an infinitely better statistic than yards raw will ever be, ever. There is no, no occasion when yards per attempt will be an inferior stat to raw yards. It'll always be better because it's contextual. It gives you what we said, an additional axes when you're looking at it. It's not just one statistic, it's one statistic relative to opportunity statistic. Yards per attempt, yards per rush, yards per completion. There's always better than just yards. So starting from the place that we gotta get 300 yards, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so let's start with the fact he's not throwing enough to consistently get 300 yards a game. In addition, the point is to win the game, right? We've talked about this before. Is is it? You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. And the point is that I'm not I'm not going the whole a win is a win thing, right? I'm not going to go that because I, I just chastised people for doing that because I said how you win matters. I'm not going to do that because that would make Amy hypocrite and intellectually dishonest. I'm not going to do that. Here's what I will say. Has there been a game where we needed Josh to throw for 300 yards to win the game, and he, we didn't. That's the point. We might have that coming up. We might have that coming up. And we, I think I, you could make an argument that the Browns game was that game. If he connects on one of those deep balls and he gets a 300-yard game, we probably win that game. The Browns game was probably a game where if Josh throws for 300 yards, we win that game. That's it. But those games are not are not frequent. That's those, one, I mean, that's one of ten. Right. Those games are not all the time. How many t- times do we walk out of that game going, you know what? If Josh Allen would have made better use of the attempts he got and the yards per attempt would have been sufficient enough and reasonable that he gets to 300 yards, we would have won. That's not very common. 
for Josh Allen. So that's my response to the 300 yards thing. I think it's an arbitrary milestone. I think yards per attempt is an infinitely better measurement. Now, Josh Allen's not good at yards per attempt. He's at 6.9 for the season. It's not like he's excellent. But even if he was excellent or top 10, he still wouldn't be hitting the metric because of how many times he would have to throw and and what this offense is asking him to do. Right, and it would be better than Josh Allen did last year, and it would still not be 300 yards, and that would still be fine. Okay. Well, what about, you know, so I I don't think either of us are here, but we made the joke last week about Mega Josh. We did. You know, mixing YOLO Josh with Dr. Josh. This is a soda comparison now after that one guy. And then it's Mega Josh, the the, the Power Rangers, you know, the Power Rangers sure. Megazord. He did in the, in the, in the uh, mock-up, it was Mecca, Josh. Which, you know, I mean, for copyright reasons, we have to go that way. Sure, I'm good with it either way. <laughs> either <laughs> we, have to, way. we have to steer clear of Mega Josh for, uh, we don't want, uh, what is it? Ha- uh, Bandai Namco? Is that what it is? Has. Or is it Hasbro? For some reason, I think Hasbro, but it's 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 high, ha- Hasa, uh, hang on. Haga, Naga, not going to work here anymore anyway. <laughs> no one in this country can ever pronounce my name right. It's, it's not that hard, David. Yeah, well, at least your name isn't Michael Bolton. You know, there's nothing wrong with that name. There was nothing wrong with it until I was about 12 years old and that no-talent ass clown became famous and started winning Grammys. Why don't you just uh, go by Mike instead of Michael? No way. Why should I change? He's the one who sucks. Hayam Sabin. I knew it was something weird. I had to look it up real quick. Yeah, Hayam Sabin. He's the uh, the guy who's going to come after us for using the the term Mega Josh. Maybe. Okay. Anyways. Anyways. We'll, we'll move on. We'll move on. So people were talking about this being his best game, and people are talking about it maybe being you know the combination of all the things we need. I don't think it was the combination of all the things we need. It was a step in the right direction. It was better than what we have seen recently, which is I think why people are even willing to talk about it being his best game, probably maybe his best game of the season. Uh, where does Bruce land on those things? So I think there are four contenders for Josh's best game. Miami yesterday, Tennessee earlier this year, Miami week 17 of last year. Uh, that was a good game. And Miami week 13 of last year. We love playing Miami. <laughs> Three of the four are Miamis. Now, so those are your, those are your options for do you, best Do you have game. a strong feeling? I do. I do. I think if you were going to go by passer rating, then yesterday was the best game he played. I think week 17 last year was the best game he played. Yeah. Even though he threw a pick six, because he very well could have thrown a pick six yesterday, too. It just didn't happen that way. And he had 95 yards rushing against those uh, Miami Dolphins in the week 17 of last year. I really liked the rushing that he had on Sunday because it seemed smart. It was he smarter. Pr- he protected himself. It was One of them was a zone, a zone read. And I, I just thought that he was not reckless at all with his body. He was much more under control yesterday. I think that, I think that I'm probably penalizing him a little too harshly for the ball that probably should have been a pick six and the tip ball in the end zone that very well could have been a red zone interception. I think if those two things are an inch different here or there, we're talking about the scheme a little differently. Instead, we're saying it's the return of YOLO Josh, and with that comes the turnovers. So I don't want us to get caught up in... I don't want us to get caught up in Josh Allen being flawless yesterday because he wasn't, and I don't want us to be caught up in Josh Allen being so good that we can't talk about his flaws. 
but I also don't want us to not see progress because it's very clearly progress. I, both of those things are wrong. Josh Allen being elite is not a thing that's the case right now. Josh Allen being garbage, come on, guys. Like, If you say Josh Allen's garbage at this point in his career, I really got nothing for you guys. How many times does he have to lead the NFL in fantasy scoring and be a huge part of our offense where he puts the team on his back? And be, I mean, I'm not being hyperbolic, be in the elite categorization of all measurements for intermediate passing. Yeah. Which, again, was supposed to be his weakness. What do you people want? I will not stop. We want, I will champion that cause. I will. You just, you just can't say he's trash. You can't. If you say he's trash, you got no credibility with me. But in addition, I almost feel like I'm almost afraid at some points to put on Twitter, hey, you know, he made a flaw there. You know, that was a bad throw. Because I'll be like, oh, what are you talking about? He was great. Every quarterback has flaws. So we're just not going to talk about him? Because every quarterback has him, we're yeah, not we, going to talk we about talk, him. You can talk about him with the good ones, too. I mean, it's not... That's the yeah, point. And yeah. Every time he has a bad game, we're going to come in here and we're going to talk about all the good things he did. And every time he has a good game, we're going to come in here and talk about all the bad things he did because that's the job. It's to talk about all of it, not yeah. some of it, and not the stuff that makes us feel good. We're going to talk about all of it. Yeah. So I think you can make an argument that this is 1A or 1B on the best Allen games next to Miami Week 17 last year. He had five touchdowns last time. He had four touchdowns this time. He had a pick six last time, and could have had two. He could have had two interceptions, a red zone interception, and a pick six this time. They just didn't bounce that way. So, his his did he hit a deep ball last year? Week seventeen, it uh, was a wide open one to Zay Jones. Well, who was on a deep crossers blown coverage, but it was in. That's his best game then. I mean, you've got the deep ball plus you've got more touchdown. I mean, more however, mo- the John Brown honey hole throw from yesterday. Yeah, it was beautiful. That was uh Did he, do you th- I mean, did he see it open and then hit it because of his arm strength or did he know it from the start? John Brown mentioned that he John Josh Allen had told him, "Hey, you know, if they if they roll to cover 2 again or if they have a single high and I can hold him, I'm 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 going to tell you to run that route along the sideline. I'm going to hit you there." Like John Brown flat out said, and Josh that's, Allen said, if you see this coverage again, that is so we're encouraging. Do it. That is so encouraging. I mean, you have got a quarterback, a second year quarterback, who is changing plays. You know, what is it with the uh, sight adjustment? Yeah. I mean, like these are these are things that some of the guys we had previously we couldn't really expect of them. Josh Allen, the thing that's always been underrated about Josh Allen is how smart he is. Josh yeah. Allen had a really high wonderlick test. Everyone said he was great on the board. I. I He's just so he's just so well. Gosh, love football. You know what right. I mean. He's just so you don't think about him. Yeah, that way. He's, yeah. You just don't think about him being like a super cerebral guy. But he's a smart quarterback. Every single person who interviewed him talked about how good he was on the the whiteboard, and he had a really high wonderlick. I mean, we all raved about it when it was Fitzpatrick, but then when it's Josh Allen, we're like, oh, well, he didn't go to Harvard, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, Fitz probably moved the needle, and now we, you know. Uh, I mean, you could make an argument, I'm making the argument right now, that Week 17 against the Dolphins was a better game, but I don't think there was a better play for Josh Allen ever than that throw to John Brown. When you talk about the recognition pre-snap, the adjustment, looking off the safety. Execution. The execution, the pump fake, the shoulder shrug, the throw, that's... Elite level quarterbacking. Now it was elite level quarterbacking for one play, but that is elite level quarterbacking. And this also goes back to why arm strength does matter. It's not the most important trait in a quarterback, but there are quarterbacks who cannot make that throw. 
physically they just can't. Yeah. And you and I have talked about one of the joys of having Josh Allen is that there isn't a thing that the defense can give you and go, I'm willing to give him this because he just can't do it. Chad Pennington. Yeah. Chad Pennington, right? Um, how about what the Bengals are going through right now with Ryan Finley? Yeah. Ryan Finley is a great example of a quarterback who simply cannot do certain things. He just can't. It's he just can't make it. If you look at Ryan Finley's passing chart, you're get, it looks riotous. You're getting there at Tom Brady. I mean, really, you're start, you're starting to see that that he can't do everything always that he did before. So, and that was one of the things about Brett Favre. Even later in his career, Brett Favre oh, still God. had the cannon. <sighs> I'm getting you all wound up. Now. We're gonna take a we're gonna take a quick break, and uh, <laughs> we will Nick come. Needs a moment. We will come back, and uh, we will finish up this conversation by talking about the game against the Broncos this week. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show, Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I uh, am, have just put some water on my face and uh, cooled off, and, and we're we're back with you, along with me. Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter, at Bruce Exclusive. So, we've got an interesting game coming up. The Broncos are a very interesting team to me. They're, they're quarterback. I watched the highlights, uh, so I, I didn't watch the game, but I watched the highlights of the Minnesota game. Brandon Allen, right? Yep. yep. He looks better than a guy that I had never heard of <laughs> that I expected him to look. The Broncos have a very strong defense. They're out of the playoff picture, I think. So they are they obviously have their issues. But it's 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 a dangerous situation uh because I believe again they have a good running game and they have a pretty good defense and our offense, you know, found some life this past week, but traditionally this season has struggled. Uh, what we didn't talk about special teams too. I don't know what the if you have any opinion about the Broncos special teams, but our special teams, Saran Neal went down. I don't know if these are correlated, but Saran Neal went down, and our coverage unit seemed to struggle significantly. Now he thinks he's going to play this next week based on social media posts that he did. But uh, the Broncos don't have Jakeem Grant, so part of this is that Saran Neal went down. Part of it is that Miami has Jakeem Grant. Yeah, and Jakeem Grant is one of the top five fastest players in football. Yeah, and it's just a really, really bad thing when you see Jakeem Grant turn the edge and Lorenzo Alexander is the guy who's supposed to get him there. You're like, and he laid out. This man. is this is not going to go well. Hauschka <laughs> did his best to try and you know poke that ball out as he was running by, but <laughs> I, Jordan Poyer is not a slow man. Yeah, and, and Jakeem Grant gained yeah. on him. Pretty quick. Yeah. So the Broncos, we shouldn't necessarily expect the Broncos to be trying to like to have an identical situation against the Broncos. No, because nothing is identical when you have a player of that caliber. Jakeem Grant scares me every time he touches the ball. The reason that one of the things that frustrated me about Adam Gase and frustrates me a little bit, to be honest, about the Miami Dolphins offense right now is that they don't find ways to get Jakeem Grant the football the way I feel like they should. I feel like if you took Isaiah McKenzie and you added a little bit of top-end speed, you'd end up with Jakeem Grant without the what, fumbling what, problems. What would Andy Reid be doing with him in, in Kansas oh, City? Oh, dear sweet mother of Troy. <laughs> um, just all, literally all the jet sweeps. All yeah. of them. All the jet motion you could possibly ask for would be there. Yeah. So the Broncos' main concern for me, the things I want to talk about today, I want to talk about Von Miller and Cody Ford. I don't. So, I don't want to talk. I know you don't want to talk about that. <laughs> I, do, I so, don't want because we didn't get a chance to talk about Ty and Seki. Yeah, that's a bad one. I mean, he's done, right? I mean, the Aircast came out. I mean, there's, that, it doesn't it, look good. It's a, that's a that's a break, and you know, he's is he on a multi year deal? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So well, I hope he. I hope he. I hope he's the same when he comes back. And I think he will be. Um, Cody Ford actually, you he know, didn't play poorly. Didn't play poorly. Now, I. 
I caveat that with the, the I mean, the Dolphins have almost nobody rushing from that end. I mean, um, I, I always struggle to be so hyperbolic that I say I could rush better from that end because we've established I'm about six foot two oh five. Um, I don't I'm about the size of a decent safety in the NFL. But I mean, unless you're a real football junkie, you don't know who those people are. Yeah. Who any of those people are. And so him looking good against those people is a lot different than him looking good against I, Von Miller. I haven't heard of those people. I have heard of Von Miller. Yes, yes. <laughs> so you t- so you have heard of me then. You are without doubt the worst pirate I've ever heard of. But you have heard of me. <laughs> um, but the thing for Von Miller that I want to talk about is I want to talk a little bit about chipping. Because I think one of the things that people talk about when they talk about giving somebody help on the edge is they talk, oh, we're going to chip. I'd like to draw your attention to some meaningful some meaningful research that's been done on the subject that chipping actually doesn't have a net positive value on your ability to hold up and pass protection against that player. So I'd like to open that up right now. It's a little bit like the fact that it's it sounds, intuitively, it sounds incorrect. It's a little bit like how... You don't have to have a good run game to have a good play-action game. It sounds intuitively wrong. Wait, well, hold on. So I get two guys blocking a guy, and it's less effective or the same amount of effective as one guy blocking a guy? Yes, is what I'm telling you. There has been some fairly meaningful research done that indicates chipping doesn't end up helping as much as it you think it does. And it's actually a net neutral maneuver. I am very pleased with this research because I went on Twitter on Monday and said that I think that we should be giving Lee Smith, Lee Smith only got 7 snaps, but I'm I'm on record now as saying I think that we should take Lee Smith out of the lineup altogether, inactive and give whatever those reps would be to Tommy Sweeney. Now, to be fair, chipping is not double teaming. If well, you have shit, if you have a tight end lined up next to Cody Ford, in formation, and they double-team Devon Miller, I'm fine with that, and that's what I think we should do. I think Tommy Sweeney and or Lee Smith, whoever they decide they're going to use there, should be lined up next to Cody Ford to help him. Chipping is an indication that it's a block on the way to something else. It's a tight end blocking on the way to a route, or it's a running back blocking on the way to a route, or something like that. That's the, what chipping means. It's blocking in transit. That's what chip means, right? So, but the problem is, more often than not, you end up throwing off the block of your tackle when you chip. You end up chipping the player, and that pushes him inside, and now he gets an inside move on your tackle or something of that sort. And so I don't think we should be sending Devin Singletary or Frank Gore to chip on Von Miller. I do think we should be in 11 or 21 personnel the entire we got to have at least one tight end on the field at all times. And that tight end should be lined up directly next to Cody Ford. And we're going to spend the entire week learning how to double team block with Cody Ford and the, and the tight end. Do you, uh, do you feel strongly that it should be Lee Smith and not Tommy Sweeney or anybody else? Tyler Croft, Dawson Knox. I would feel very strongly if it wasn't for Lee Smith's penalties, which is causing me to that, feel weird. Yeah, is so. That is exactly why I feel the way I do. Like I, I don't dislike Lee's product on the field. He like there is like there's a mental sharpness that he is not snap counts and holding and just weird stuff. I will say that anecdotally, Lee Smith appears to be getting more holding penalties in run blocking. So pass blocking out of a stance may be a little different. 
if he's double teaming a block with Cody Ford, and I might feel different. And I imagine that the Bills will as well. Now, is it is it common defensive schematics to blitz at where you have a guy that is elite like Von Miller? Because if you blitz there, then the double team can't happen. Yes, that happens. If you're gonna double, I don't, I don't like that. If you're gonna, well, we we do it. We did it on the inside. I, I so believe that we did it when Ed Oliver was getting double teamed, and we said we don't like you getting double teamed. We're gonna shove Tremaine Edmonds up your center's butt and make you try to single block Ed Oliver. That's part of one of the reasons why you do that. So the point is that yes, they could do that. They could absolutely do. That. And Vic Fangio is a great defensive mind. I am very, 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 very worried about Von Miller destroying this game for the Bills. because How's the rest of their defense? Good. Chris Harris is, is legit. I don't think John Brown is going to get 14 targets again because I don't think Chris Harris will let him. And John Brown getting 14 targets is partly a product of the fact that Miami Dolphins' corners are terrible. And they were terrible with Xavier How- Xavier Howard. And now they're worse. Now, I will say this. Real quick note on John Brown. John Brown didn't do anything different yesterday, folks. This past Sunday, he didn't do anything different. He just did what he's been doing all year, but with more targets. He was the exact same guy. He's always been. That's what I want from Cole Beasley. You want Cole Beasley to do the same stuff he's been doing, but do just it with like, more targets. Like two or three times as many targets. Right. Well, I mean, that's that's strong. Two or three times as many targets. <laughs> But here's what I want. What is Isaiah it? He's getting, it feels like he's getting three. Well, two. Isaiah McKenzie got six, and Cole Beasley gets four. That's that's not a thing. There's only a couple things Isaiah McKenzie does better than Cole Beasley. The jet motion is one of them. But I, every time you see a route and it's run by Isaiah McKenzie, and you think to yourself, "Well, that would be better with Cole Beasley." So we need to get Cole Beasley more touches. So I'm just saying that. This might be another one of those games because of the presence of Chris Harris where we need to get Beasley more. Now, to be fair, I've been pounding the table for more Beasley targets for like a month in, in the, on this pod, in the column, and it just doesn't seem to ever happen. So maybe this is the week. But when you have an elite corner like Chris Harris is, he's a really, really good corner, then you can say, okay, maybe this is the week that Cole Beasley from the inside gets, gets some stuff. Plus... Cole Beasley, if he can be on the same edge as Von Miller, there's a chance that Josh Allen can look that way, have Von Miller in his sight, right, to eliminate some of that blind spot issues. And if they happen to bring a blitz to beat the double team, then Josh Allen can throw to the area vacated by the blitz, which will be the area that Cole Beasley will be in. So if I was designing, starting to concoct in my head a game plan, I'd start with some of these ideas. So we have a little bit of a carousel with the bottom of our wide receiver roster. You know, Duke Williams not dressing, Andre Roberts getting run. Seems like the top three are Isaiah McKenzie, Cole Beasley, John Brown. Do you have a feeling about trying to force feed, you know, tr- not, trying to, you know, force Robert Foster into the offense or to dress Duke Williams? Is there anything like that to be taken advantage of against the Broncos, to your knowledge? Not really. Okay. I, I don't think there's any glaring flaws that make you go, well, this is obviously the answer. I think the biggest one that I think of is the 
is the idea that you can use yeah, easily yeah. to beat the blitz. What about Singletary? Expect him to have another, you know, the run game in general. Another. I, I don't think the run game's going to go as well as it has been. TJ Yeldon sighting? Um, I would doubt it. I would highly, highly doubt it because they're using Robert Foster as a gunner on special teams, almost exclusively. He got zero offensive snaps. And TJ Yeldon was there for the passing game, and they're throwing it to Devin Singletary now. So they really, I don't think we're going to see in a lot of TJ Yeldon again. Okay. Whenever we are on defense, you know, so they have a young quarterback that typically could provide some opportunity. What do we have to be aware of? How do you feel about our defense matched up against their offense? We need to bring the run stopping we had against Miami to Philip Lindsay. The difference is Philip Lindsay is four times as talented as Kalen Bellage is in his pinky toe. They they also have a, a wide receiver who's being very productive, right? Cortland I mean, Sutton is very, very good. Yeah, One so, of the reasons why they felt comfortable getting rid of Emmanuel Sanders is because Cortland Sutton has played so well. I'm very comfortable with Tredavious White on him. However, Cortland Sutton is the body type that has historically caused Tredavious White some problems. Big, long, lanky, He's high big, ball. big, long, lanky. He's an A.J. Green light sort of yeah, player. I don't like so that. So <laughs> if Cortland Sutton has a big game, don't be surprised because he has that Devontae Parker, A.J. Green sort of frame where he might be able to to get on get on top of, of Dre, Trey White. So I'm... It's one of those things where you got to lock in on the running game and trust that Tredavious White can do his job. You're not going to help Tredavious at the expense of the run game. You're going to help the run game and leave Tredavious out there. That's what he gets paid for. Two other questions for the defensive game plan that you would you would drop. Pass rush, uh, pass rush generated by four or blitzing again? Young quarterback, does I that make th- a difference? Yes. Historically, the conventional wisdom is you blitz young ones and bad ones and you drop into coverage over old ones and good ones. So given the fact that this is a young quarterback with not a lot of experience, I would bring the house. Okay. And do you anticipate that maybe these things are related, a lot of man or zone? I would anticipate a decent amount of zone because I don't want Philip Lindsay getting out of the backfield and beating Lorenzo Alexander, for yeah, example, to the one on one, yeah. And taking it for 70 yards because he's got the wheels to do it. Bills win if. Bills win if the run defense from Miami shows up. I'm going to say Bills win if we get the same kind of productivity out of out of Josh Allen. I just I, if we if our offense is moving the ball like that, I don't really I don't really fear the. I understand the run proficiency of of, of Lindsey. I just don't fear the Broncos offense keeping up with us on that. Broncos win if. Broncos win if Josh Allen gets sacked four times. Four times? Oof. Oh, yeah, Broncos. Yeah, pass rusher is a big one. It puts you in negative plays and forces you to play catch up, which then snowballs on you. And it also gets you out of rundowns, which you need to be able to do to keep on top of the chains. Broncos win, and I, I don't have like a way to quantify this terribly well, but if Broncos win if... The connection between Sutton and Brandon Allen looks like it's a more seasoned, productive, you know, connection. It's it 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 really moves their offense on a consistent basis, and we just can't shut it down. 
that would give me pause because that means you're whenever a guy is beating Trey White in that way. I mean, it's it almost though some of those AJ Green games. I mean, it's almost at will. Like you just you just put it in the vicinity, and that that guy goes get it. And that, not, we're not trying to equate Brandon Sutton with AJ Green entirely, but that that would not be good. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed this. It's a little bit of a long one, but whenever we're together, we uh, we bring the heat. That's why. I had to take a break and splash water on my face because I was I was burning up. And as we all go back to New Era Field to watch the Bills take on the Broncos, we just have one little piece of advice for you. I do the cha-cha like a sissy girl. I like a do the cha-cha. We're visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just visible. Switch today at visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see visible.com.